I believe everyone has a story to share. I'm on a journey to discover the magic inside each person's story. Each week, I will introduce you to guests where I will dig deep and uncover the beautiful miracles from life and experiences to inspire and encourage you to live life to the fullest. My goal is to give each guest a platform to share their lives with the world in hopes that someone will be inspired to take action and live life with passion and purpose. Welcome to the Uncover Your Magic podcast with me, Ashley Goner. Are you ready? Here we go. Hello and welcome back to Uncover Your Magic. Today's guest is a gentleman all the way from Bali. His name is Chris Sirock. He has a book that I read called The BU Book, The Journey of Self-Realization. If I were to put books in schools, this would be one of them. It's kind of the, the way he explains spirituality, limiting beliefs, everything that you know, we always are learning and without the words that are confusing, <laughs> I would recommend this book. It's so, so good. I really enjoyed reading it, but he is, he has retreats that he has been running and he is in Bali and he focuses on meditation. I guess I would say that to be his, like the umbrella of what he really believes in. And our conversation was so fun. I felt like I knew him. You know, those people that you just sit there and go, gosh, I feel like I've known you before, but I love that. And I love connecting with these amazing people. And you will be inspired to meditate when you hear his, like his philosophy behind it. I mean, you know, most of these guests that I do interview weekly, they basically say, most of them say they they discovered their awakening through meditation. So, you know, I've been doing my, that megahertz 417 lately, that's been my meditation. And, you know, I think, well, Christy Burkhead is the one that when I interviewed her a couple of months ago, she had said that my dad who had passed away was messaging her to say, have her meditate to 417. So I've been doing that daily And you can look up on YouTube, different frequencies, different megahertz to meditate to that you're drawn to or calls you because it's so cool. It helps me get into a state of my mind clearer when I hear those sounds. And I also have added that to my morning run with the dogs. So I'll usually listen to a podcast or, you know, or not listen to anything and just look at the birds and the trees. But lately for the last 20 minutes, I put the megahertz in, or I choose one that maybe it just pops up on the YouTube. And I think that's what I'm supposed to listen to right now. And it's so healing. Yeah, I would really recommend that. But anyway, meditation takes you to a different place. And I really, even last week with the breath work that we talked about, you know, anything that, you know, all these modalities have been around for forever. And to think we're all, it's kind of just common vocabulary now (laughs) in this world that we talk about, but, you know, meditation is not, 
this like woo woo word anymore. It's something so important and so amazing once you establish that into your routine. And it's just a, you just have to form a habit and, you know, you don't have to do it for, for a half an hour or an hour, or you can do it for five minutes, 10 minutes. And then you'll just, it'll be like this medicine to your soul. You'll crave it. I promise you, you will get up in the morning and you won't be able to wait to do that. So I highly recommend meditation, like, and you will love Chris today, but before we get started, I would love for you to, to subscribe and rate this show. I have been getting amazing reviews and which then (laughs) believe it or not, when I get those, it helps with the guests and that's, you know, a podcast is the more downloads and reviews, the higher the ratings go. So I am up there in the two, I think it's like 2%. I don't know, when you, when, when I look it up, it's really high and it's amazing. And I'm so proud of it. And I just thank you all for doing and being here every week. And it means so much to me. And if you need to look at my website and you have teenagers or parents that are struggling right now, I would love to help you with raising confidence or the magic path or anything you need. I would love to help you. These kids right now are, you know, going through a lot. I've been talking to a lot of grandparents lately that have been worried about their grandkids. And it's interesting knowing what we know with, you know, being programmed. And I think what I've kind of understood or what I've kind of realized is, you know, these grandparents these days are seeing their kids raising their grandkids with a new mind. Now, as you're a grandparent, you look at raising families differently because you've grown and learned, hopefully. And these sweet grandmas that have been reaching out to me to try to help their grandkids because their parents aren't, don't have those tools has been so beautiful. Oh my gosh. I, I really know that's my passion because I love these kids so much. And just to see how much these grandparents want to help their kids, their grandkids is just precious. So I would love to help anybody that is struggling or just wants mindset tools to get into life when they, you know, venture out into college or whatever they decide to do when they leave your house. I'd love to give you all the tools that I believe so heartedly, wholeheartedly are so important to grasp and understand and create a habit on and know that early in life before you set your kids out into this world, not knowing these tools and having that confidence to know they'll make the right decisions and their values. I know when Paige leaves after her senior year, she's a junior now, but I know when she leaves and she wants to go to college, I have all a hundred percent faith that I've given her those tools. And I know she has her values in order. She knows how to make her choices. Gosh, she has those mindset tools, a gratitude, her morning routine. It's not even a question in this house. You got to get those routines going, the mindset, their mindset in that, where it just happens instantly. You don't even have to think about it. 
But anyway, you can tell I'm passionate about that, which is what I believe this world needs more than anything is to empower these kids because they're going into this life that's unknown. I mean, they're 18 years old when they head out to the world on their own. And what have they learned besides their high school and, you know, besides school subjects, but have you really empowered them with these tools that I just believe so much, if anything, have them read the four agreements by Don Miguel Ruiz, read untethered soul by Michael Singer, Rhonda Byrne, the magic, lots of gratitude, just trying to like any kind of resources that I can help you with. I would love to, but these little tools that I believe are, will set them up for life in the most amazing way. And I know just as a parent, you want everything for your kids. So reach out to me so I can help. So without further ado, I would love for you to meet this amazing man all the way from Bali, Chris Sirak. Welcome, Chris. Oh, welcome, Ashley. Such a pleasure to be here. Uh, all the way from Bali. Oh, I want to go there so bad. <laughs> There's so many signs that are pointing me there. Tell me there. Let's start with that yeah. paradise where you are right now. It's 8.30 in the morning. It's 5.30 at night in San Diego. And you just woke up or woke up to the sunrise. Yes. And tell me about living like that. Yeah. Well, ultimately being closer to nature and you can find that in many different places, but especially here, it's, there's something sacred about the energy. And, you know, I came here before once I thought I have to come back, didn't get a chance for a few years there. And now came back last year and within two hours of landing, it just, the download came, the message came, I have to stay. I was like, really? And that's kind of a, you know, the, I often get the question of how can you tell the difference between a calling and just kind of like a mind-made idea. And it's usually that you're, you don't feel ready for your calling or mm -hmm. you still have to do some growing or some yeah, self development and education to step into it. And mm -hmm. so that's kind of what it felt like. I was like, Oh really? Now I have to upend my life and <laughs> in Los Angeles where I'd been for 27 years, it was, you know, deep roots and move here really. And and then, yeah, you just say yes. Yeah, I know. I love it. I always tell people just say yes. Are you, have you done Tony Robbins? I follow him a lot. Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. Well, that was his shirt, you know, say yes. I'm like, you got to say yes, but you know, so let's go now to this amazing man that came into my life and I get to share with my world so I just finished listening to your audible to be you. So I've had you in my, in my ears for the last couple of days. And, you know, I love what you say because it resonates with me and what I teach and what I believe. And there's so many things in this book that uh, I can't wait to have you elaborate on. So people hear your perspective on these amazing things, but, and it, your book is so nice because it's your voice and I know it's your truth. So when it's coming through, I feel like you're just talking to me and telling me a little, you know, these three minute chapters that are just kind of, I'm listening to this, your story, you know, I mean, just for example, on trust, like, or whatever it is, but I'm like, oh, that's how Chris, yeah, I get that. And I just, I think it's a neat, easy book. One, I would probably say to a client, to read, to get what I really um, believe in all the, the triggers and the limiting beliefs and, you know, but how you just come up with BU, right? 
Yeah. But what I want to know is how you became you. And I don't know a lot about your, how you, where you started and your family and what even brought you to LA. We're probably close to the same age as I'm guessing. What brought you to this place right now? Where are you, where yeah. are you from? Give me yeah. your background. <laughs> well, life got me to this place and just like it does for everyone. And maybe what was a bit unusual for me was I kind of had an uprooted upbringing. Uh, my dad worked for the, he was a civilian contractor for the military and we moved around a lot. And so the early years, that was probably, you know, my challenge, my big challenge in life that came very early is is not having a foundation in any one particular place and language even and culture and so forth. And then later, of course, that became a strength because I wasn't too indoctrinated into one way of thinking, but multiple ways. Both my parents are immigrants. And so strong uh, imprint from their native cultures that was maintained in the family. Uh, I grew up with many languages and weekends and all the different districts in New York where, you know, we were having Croatian dinners or, or German festivals and so forth. And and um, and then, you know, just moving around a lot and traveling a lot. So it ex- exposed me to a lot of different ideas and, and different ways of thinking. And like I said, early on, that that was probably my biggest challenge is to find groundedness in that. But, you know, you you do your best to get through. And and um, and then I think there was always a part of me that maybe because of the way I grew up or or just because of how I how I am that was seeking more that there there must be more to life than this and right. and then ultimately i did find grounding in just kind of pursuing the things that society says will make you happy and will bring you joy and you know and i created a really nice work life balance within that framework and still there came a point where i realized this this can't be it and that's i started waking up to things like you know even in my free time i was still you know, I like to write music and I like to play tennis and things like that. And I was still living for outcomes. I was mm-hmm. still not being present with these passions that I had that I was lucky to to maintain throughout my life. And and so, you know, there's something I think inside of all of us that nags, right? That uh, says something's not quite aligned yet. And what could it be? And we seek that alignment, that permanent happiness and and all these things around us and these achievements, these goals that we set for ourselves. Once we get to a certain place, we feel like then we'll be happy. At least the mind tells us that. And then, right. and then if we do achieve, it's not even that we often do that because life takes its own twists and turns. But when we do achieve things, we, you know, experience happiness. Absolutely. But it's kind of a fleeting happiness and it kind of leaves us. And so we become more aware of the the changing nature of life through these external achievements that we seek our happiness in, these things, people, places, and things. And then slowly, just gradually, life will ultimately turn us back inward because we look for ourselves in everything around us. And then what's left, well, within us is is the place. Right. Oh, for sure. And so when you were going down this path and trying to find the being in the moment and, you know, playing tennis and really like um, experiencing that or really realizing that you weren't living in that place that you do now. What was the turning point where you were like, like, what were you doing for work? Like, what was your thing? Yeah. What, was, what yeah. was Chris 
Ciroc's job or what were you doing? Yeah. Well, I was a user experience consultant most of my life. This goes back to the dot-com era. Always very entrepreneurial, having you know ideas of starting companies and early stage type of passion that I had for for the incubation of an idea and then bringing it to life. So that really became kind of the, the the professional foundation for me and allowed me to learn a lot about pretty much every industry, having to go into corporate environments and manage the personalities there and the politics and so forth. And also, you know, smaller companies and startups and mentoring. I started teaching at UCLA for 10 years and uh, I just was one of the first people to get into user experience design when it wasn't even that it was just human factors and uh, so I lucky don't even to know what that is, and I'm not yeah. going to ask you because <laughs> it's way over my head. Yeah. So, but it, I didn't realize back then that the 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 design thinking principles that I was applying, which are uh, curiosity and beginner's mind and listening and need based design, as opposed to from from ego from self, all these things are mindfulness principles mm. and. Uh, so I was drawn to them. And I think often we look back on life and we realize, well, I actually, you know, deep down, this was pulling, there was something pulling me to to do something and we wasn't fully aware of it yet. And and then you realize, oh, so I, there is a thread that runs through everything. Right, right. You know, you talk about purpose in one of your chapters and there's a way that you say, you'll know it's your purpose when, what? When it's like, you know, not looking for an outcome, like what is, there's something about the purpose that I loved what you said, how you said, do you remember? Yeah. Um, I say many things. Well, I th- <laughs> the, the thing about purpose and we just, before we hit record, we were talking about how to re- really recognize that you're meant to do something. Um, at the very base of it is the, your blueprint, right? What resonates in your environment and what doesn't. And that is really the essence of how connected you feel in this moment is the best indicator of how connected you feel in the next moment and and in the next moment. And so really building up from right now, connecting with what is and letting that momentum basically lead to a place where your purpose reveals itself. It's not Mm -hmm. something you have to make up in your head. It's certainly not something that others can tell you (laughs) even well-meaning right they they don't know you they are not you and we do have every single one of us um, have this very distinct uh, resonance and and gps that guides us through life and it's really about quieting the the outside voices uh, the barrage of of our environment trying to elicit reactions from us and connecting you know with our body in that quiet more subtle wisdom voice that resides within. Right. And how do you describe that inner voice, that intuition? You know, when people say, and I try to tell my people, my clients, my students, when your intuition, you know, listening to that voice, how do I, then they'll always say, well, how do I know that's when we say yes to that voice, right? How do I know? Do I say yes to that voice? Or is it the other voice over here that's saying, probably don't do that. How do you explain that to people? Yeah. Well, I have a, a simple test actually, and that it works for myself as well. I'm not above this in any way, but it's actually a, it's a time test. So our inner truth is usually very solid. It doesn't waver. Whereas the mind made truth is fickle. It jumps from one 
thing moment to the next you can get into the shower thinking i've you know i've got the solution and then you get out not even remembering it right, uh, right. so yeah so often if you just wait a day and you can still feel the kind of the rock solid inner truth, it just doesn't waver. It doesn't go away. It doesn't start to question itself. It doesn't start to doubt and all of these, you know, things of the mind. And so you, you, you can kind of tell with a little waiting a little bit, seeing if that feeling is still there, whether it's it comes from within or it's just kind of a, a fickle fabrication of the mind. Right. Give me an example of in your life, what you've experienced as something that has stuck to you, stuck in your mind. Yeah, absolutely. Well, a good example is writing the book. I had never written a book before and I was not very learned. I was very roll up my sleeves kind of guy and just start doing. So I was uh, very much a doer. And the call to write a book, it was very foreign to me. I, I had to really wrestle with this idea of, should I be doing this? This is just not up my alley. (laughs) Uh, It didn't seem like it at the time, right? But I gave myself a chance to just sit down, just, you know, it's not about ignoring those voices. It's just allowing them to be. We never want to push away our our feelings, our thoughts, nothing should be oppressed, but rather just giving it space and holding space for everything to be, you know, everything ultimately is true. It is what it is. It's real. And and therefore it has a, it has a right to be. So it should never be denied. And I just allowed those doubtful thoughts to be there as I continued, you know, writing and writing a little more and more. And there's a flow that started to build and, and that felt right. And I continued to, go with that right feeling. And, and mm-hmm. then before you knew it, it was, uh, it was a book. Would you say like you would get up in the morning and it would call you? Like, is it something that you, like for me, for an example, at my age and looking at what excites me, like even getting ready for you. And I know that, so this podcast is three years old. I have not missed a week. I love it so much that it's just, it calls me like I get so excited. I had an interview. I never do two in a day. I had one before I went to pick the girls up from school and then I knew I had you. So I really had to kind of make my mind a little bit more bilateral or whatever you call it, but my, it, it calls me. So like learning about these people like you, for an example, it just calls me. I wake up in the morning and you, you call me. Like, that's how I feel. Like, I can't wait to learn and I can't wait to share you. Like, it is in my blood. Is that how you feel when something, when you know that you're following that calling? Is that Mm. when, when you're writing that book? Yeah. So what you just said was really beautiful. The the desire to learn, the desire to kind of this forward-looking attitude of like, I can't wait to see what happens next, uh, what the next moment brings. And it could be applied to anything. You know, ultimately everything is creative. I mean, you can be creative as an accountant, as a as a teacher, as a, as an airline pilot, anything really. It doesn't have to be, you know, these t- more traditional arts kind artsy kind of thing so and that creativity is source that's our connectedness that's flow what we know is stale it's it's we already know it it's kind of not alive so knowledge just living from from knowledge and from the mind ultimately leads to a dullness and you don't you know you don't feel alive anymore after a while and 
And so what really invites freshness in is this mindset of I'm, I'm looking to learn. I'm looking to grow. I'm looking to expand. I'm, I'm realizing that, oh my gosh, life is here to show me all these things about me that need attention, that may need love, but that are also open to expansion and, and adventure. And just, it's all really a, an amazing place and system really that we live in because it's designed to, to bring us out of our comfort zones and, and make us grow and make us heal and make us become that person that we're meant to be. And the only thing really that keeps us from is our own resistance, which is funny, right? But so yeah, the same thing with writing the book. It's a, it was mainly an attitude of, I can't wait to see what comes through me next. Yeah. And, and then it wasn't really, if it was me writing, if, you know, trying, if I could feel myself trying, then it just felt forced. The the ease left me. And, and then I knew to just put the pen down and go do something that would put me back in alignment. It could be a walk. It could be meditating. It could just be uh, fixing a meal, anything, you know, a lot of these simple things, doing the dishes, folding the laundry, these simple things actually bring us back to the, the present moment because life is simple. And so there's kind of an alignment in doing simple things that brings us back into the inherent simplicity of life. Right. Well, your book makes you realize that, that everything is simple and it's just being you. I mean, that's the simple title of your book, be you, <laughs> being you. When I think of whatever you talk about, like there's the... I don't know, be you. The guiding principle. Whatever you talk about, the main thing (laughs) is your limiting beliefs and the things that you are programmed as a child with your surroundings. Mm. And when you remove that, especially when you talk about things that you're triggered by in relationships and being your biggest teacher and, you know, understanding that when something's triggering you, it's within you. And I, you know, I love that because it's, you know, it's such a freeing feeling when, you know, Richard would used to say some, I mean, I'm, I'm pretty good. Like, yeah, we're all human and we get triggered, but when he does something and I think, wow, that bugged me, like that's in me, right? Like, okay, Ashley, wake up. Like, okay, let's figure out why that's bugging you. What is it in me? Cause it has nothing to do with him, you know? And I know that relationships are our biggest teacher and you know, as, as many as we've experienced and, you know, now, you know, as a mother of teenage girls and, you know, trying to explain, you know, you go through relationships to learn and grow and, you know, all the girls have boyfriends now, and I'm trying to like, you know, they're learning, you know, their worthiness and, you know, I guess raising girls that way, but explain to me like how you, because your book is like that. That's what your book is really about is the the beliefs, the way you judge, the way everything is a judgment, the way that you look, watch the news, who's going to win, who's going to lose, who's right, who's wrong, right? Like, that's really what I feel like the basis of like, kind of what you are trying to get across. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Well, first of all, such lucky girls to be exposed to such a great uh, environment with such a mom and and dad to to be able to to be exposed to this. Um, you know, I wish I had been exposed to it early, and yeah, I had great too. parents, but they just <laughs> didn't know about these things, right? right? So that's you know very hopeful for the for the future generations. And well, you know, there's something about the way that life is um, 
designed to work that where we are supposed to celebrate finding ourselves in our bodies. We are supposed to become infatuated with this three-dimensional world of all our senses and the things and the places. And I mean, it's really incredible to suddenly find yourself in this place. And, um, and so we shouldn't deny those things. But as a result of kind of this outward focus, we do eventually start to notice that we can't find ourselves in those things around us and that we actually probably part of the the soul growth happens from losing ourselves in those things at first only to then learn and and uh, start to turn inward again and it's like where am i really who am i really so it's all a process there's nothing right or wrong like you said we often get down on ourselves or hard on ourselves for making mistakes. And also, there are no mistakes. We're always seeing yeah. life as a pure mirror of who we are. And so we're making the best decisions that we possibly can in every situation. And then we learn from them and then we grow. And that's the process. Right. Yeah. So the conditioning is mostly that we get pulled into our head so much. We live in a world that is seeking to elicit a response from us, a reaction of right or wrong, agree with, disagree with, I believe in this, I don't believe in this. So we just uh, get pulled into our head so deeply in education, at least Western education is very mind-based. You know, we don't spend as much time in nature as past generations that worked, you know, in the fields or that that just before there were big cities, right? That you were balanced out, your thinking was balanced out by just mm-hmm. the, the nature of life. Right. Literally nature, right? I love how you yeah. talk before I'm gonna interrupt you because it reminded yeah. me and I when you talk about trees and you walk in nature and you're like people just walk by the trees and don't notice the don't you talk about that? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I love that because I was like, oh, Chris, I do the same thing. I'm walking the dogs every day and I'm looking at the trees and I'm looking at every branch and looking at the birds in the trees. And it's when you were talking about that, I go, oh, I love that. Let's share that because I want people to get that. Yeah, absolutely. So there's two ways to experience that tree, right? One is the mental labeling of it, meaning that's a ficus, that's a, you know, birch. So it's a mental defining. And what happens as a result of that is a sense of distance is created because by saying that is, you know, the tree, um, you're saying, well, it's over there and I'm over here. There's a sense of separateness. And when we spend most of our day labeling things, judging things, then we create these little hits of separateness all day long, separate, separate, separate. I'm over here. That's over there. I'm over here. That's over there. And, and before long, we feel separate from the world, from nature, from others. And from this distance, that's where uh, it's easy to hate from far away. It's easy to blame from far away. All of this troubling energy starts to arise when we feel separate from the world around us. But the other way to experience the tree is its presence, right? It's uh, its energy. Being able to, an easy way to experience that is to follow the branches and the twists and turns and notice how every single tree, it could be the same species, doesn't matter, is so unique, so different. And you'll see things that, you know, the character of it, which, you know, it's, that's how we live too. We have these experiences and, and good and bad, traumatic and ecstatic, and, and yet they shape us, they form us, they give us bumps and bruises and cuts and wounds, and, and then we heal. And, and so we really become like, uh, that's our 
character. And as long as we notice the, the uniqueness of every single being, that's the amazing part that the, it actually draws us in closer. That separateness of mental labeling, the mm-hmm. opposite happens. It, it pulls us in and you recognize, you feel your oneness. You right. become closer. Yeah. And it's being in the now, it's being in the moment, yeah. you know, and that's all we have. And yes. we are all one. I mean, it's pretty simple when you look at it, like your book, like everything you say in that book, it's like, yeah, it's, it is simple. You know, yes. we make it so hard and difficult. Yeah. I want you I to talk a... about, yes, you just did. Yeah. Like, see, yeah I get I just so did... excited, Chris. Sorry. You tell me <laughs> what you just no. did. Um, I just did a, a retreat in, in California and one of the talks was about the example I used was a, a glass of water spilling or a glass of milk at your breakfast table, whatever it may be. And the simplicity of the situation is simply that, you know, a glass falls over it makes a sound, there's liquid, you can, um, you know, re- you can respond to it in, in basically two ways. One is the, the simplicity of it is, well, get a rag, wipe it up and set the glass back up and be done with it and keep moving, keep moving with the momentum. What does the next moment bring and so forth? Or the other one is we, you know, we stop and berate ourselves. Oh, sit clumsy me, or your partner says you always do this whole story that we put on top of it. And I use this example to illustrate the distinction between our uh, things happening, the simplicity of things happening and then our reaction to it, mm-hmm. the simplicity of our feelings are the sensations that arise. In this case, you, you hear a glass falling, you, you, maybe you, the splash of, of the water. These are just sensations and they're very, very simple. And then our reaction to what we're feeling is the big part that that's right. the story we add to it. So it took me a long time in, in my evolution to understand the distinction of my actual feelings and then my reaction to my feelings. And that's when I realized my feelings are very small, simple, manageable. Right. And then my reaction on top of it is the, is the big part. Right. Will you explain the three roads? Cause I really love that. Cause I think if people can have that as a, in their mind to view how they're looking at life, it'll steer them on the right road. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So the three roads, essentially the, the three ways we can move through life. And it's a, it's a story of resistance versus non-resistance. So I'll start with the long road. The long road is where we stay in resistance to something, you know, basically to the end. <laughs> and that's just a really hard way to travel. Everything that happens is we're in resistance to it. We want it to be different because we imagine it to be different. We project it. It should be something else. And so we're in resistance to it and we never relent. And uh, that's where a, a lot of heartache and misery sets in and doesn't let us go. The middle road, which is probably the most common road that we travel, there too, we manifest a situation from our inner lack. Again, life is a is a canvas and we see it through the lens of our internal makeup. And so we create these situations that we think will make us happy. And then we encounter that situation, we experience that situation, we realize, hmm, it's a little different than I expected. Oh, this job isn't maybe as fulfilling or having this much money isn't what I thought it was or the house or the car or the you know, the partner or the kids or well, you name it. We create these situations because somewhere there's an expectation it will fulfill us, it will heal us, it will make us happy. And there's nothing wrong with that. We should do those things. But the key is on the middle road, we 
there might be a little resistance at first, but we, we then surrender to that situation. And that act of surrender, that letting go, deepens us. We're now okay. We're accepting because probably we realize it's too much work to be right. in constant resistance, right? <laughs> so we, we surrender and life deepens us that way. And, and that's the middle road. And that's probably what happens most of the time. And then the no road, as I call it, is the one where we recognize everything we're talking about right now and that we don't have to manifest those situations to then live them out. We can actually listen to those pointers, those triggers, uh, the little lessons that life is teaching us all day long and have a mindfulness practice in place and really go within and, and learn some of those lessons sooner before we have to create a whole life situation around them. Right. right. And that way we, you know, we, we just, uh, we move through the healing and the growth uh, a little smoother and, Everyone has a combination, right, of the three roads at the different areas of life. We may be smooth sailing, no rotors. Most areas we're probably middle rotors. And in some areas we're just in resistance right, perpetually, right? right? Not wanting There's to let no go. There's no finish line. I love that. Yes. Said that. There's no finish line. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So, yeah. And we can, you know, how much of that is determined by our DNA and our karma. And, and you know, that's. It's up for debate, but uh, we definitely have some, some, there's some leeway to make our life easier and tap into that simplicity that we were talking about earlier. Right. What are your beliefs? Like, why are you here? Why did you, your soul take upon Chris Sirach's body? Oh, that's a great question. Well, my initial response to the question about beliefs is that I hope I don't have any, I'm, I'm actively working on not having any beliefs. Um, because I call it a truth structure, which is okay. in the book, right? Yeah. That we create this massive structure of all the things we believe in, which also inherently entails all the things we don't believe in. So believing in one thing means you have to, you know, disbelieve, right. you have to hold the energy of everything else as being untrue. <laughs> and so the, all of this truth structure, it weighs a ton of us. We don't realize it. And then slowly our, essentially our evolution and, and our enlightenment, if you want to call it that, is letting go of these beliefs of this truth structure to be able to get to a place where we hold everything as true. And our inner truth really speaks to that because our inner truth, when we really tap into that and live by that, it doesn't clash with the truth of others. It, you actually want everyone to have their truth too, yeah, because totally. it feels so right. Right. And so, yeah. So the second part of, you know, is, is really it's unfolded for me. I look back and I see now how everything shaped me the way it needed to shape me so that I could be who I am right now. And right. We'll, we'll see what the future brings. It's always important to, um, you know, the word detachment is, can be misinterpreted a lot, but not being attached to outcomes and goals and I have to be okay with the idea. This is my litmus test. As long as I'm okay, if I never sell another book in my life, right. then I'm in a good spot. Right. Do you live that way? Like, do you live in that place or is it something that you work on every day? Is that something? I mean, you wrote the book and I know that you know it, but is it a practice? Do you make that part of your intention in the morning? Like, do you wake up and say, how do you do that? 
Well, I have a pretty solid, you know, I teach private and group uh, meditations and retreats. There's um, spent a lot of time in, in introspection and, and teaching and, and uh, meditation. So the way my life is designed currently, I, I don't get into any spaces where I, I might get lost. <laughs> when I take a break, maybe the summer for a few months, we'll, we'll see how having just me time, how I respond to that. But uh, typically I would because I want to keep growing myself, obviously. And and I actually almost want life to show me areas where, oh, there's a little yeah, area. I, for... Me too. I love <laughs> yeah. that. It's like, wow. Okay, Ashley, let's go game on. Like, yes. let's do this. <laughs> yeah. I love it. It's, it's, it's really cool to actually live that way. And as opposed to from this little, little head that we think we know everything, which is crazy, right? That everything mm-hmm. is possible if, you know, the vastness of all possibilities exist. And then we come along and we, we just believe in this little sliver and this little idea and, you know, a few hundred, I don't know, a few thousand ideas maybe that we believe in. And then that becomes our reality. Right. <laughs> and it, it's such a small fraction of right. everything that, that is possible. And to find ourselves in that little truth structure is, is a kind of a, a losing proposition, you know? So I write in the book, it just because we hold everything as possible, or we need to get to the place where to hold everything as possible doesn't mean we should just be everything and, and everywhere is there is a very specific path through that, but we need to be open to everything in order to, to, to see our specific path. Right. When you teach yeah. your programs and your retreats and you're a big believer in meditation, that's something that you, what do you teach? What do you, and what do you do personally? Yeah. So my personal practice is in Vipassana. Those are the, the 10 day silent retreats that you hear about. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. I do those twice a year and it doesn't have to be that specific. I always, I get a question of, does it have to be this med- meditation or another meditation? I think the most important essence to have is that seeker mentality. Different things have worked for me at different times in life. I've just been a follower of everything that resonated at a particular time. It was, you know, a law of attraction one time, Alan Watts, Joseph Campbell, Eckhart Tolle, Byron Katie, Brene Brown. I'm just everyone. I follow Deepak. Yeah, I'm, me I'm, too. I love that. Yeah. So we just uh, stay in that seeker mindset and, and but the important thing is to, when you do find something that resonates, to stick with it. Uh, at least for a while, these practices do take some time to sink in and, and show themselves in terms of benefits. And so I, you know, during the one on one sessions, I, I work with, uh, you know, the, the level of, uh, care that is needed for that particular session. During retreats, I do, uh, like, a a half day noble silence, uh, meditation in the morning and the evening, and then a day full of activity to reinforce a balance between being and doing. So often it's actually better to not have any previous exposure to meditation because you, you, Mm -hmm. you'll, sometimes it's hard to set aside what you already know and, and to try something new, Right. but it's important to Ultimately, there is no meditation. Meditation is a word that describes a state that we've lost a bit as a society, but it's just returning to our natural state of feeling our feelings, of being present with our sensations as we interact with our environment and seeing what those sensations tell us, the wisdom from within arises through this, this connectedness. 
and then bringing this essence and connectedness into our daily life. All those situations with our siblings and, and parents and neighbors and coworkers and friends and, and really just uh, bringing that presence and ability to not react, but to, to hold space for everything is true. That's really um, the quality that we're looking to, to get back to. It's a, it's a much deeper experience of life and you feel yourself as part of the greater current as opposed to this kind of small individual right. trying to make sense of things. When someone's new to meditation and you're trying to explain to them why they would do that or you know, what are the benefits and why are you such a believer in that? What is it doing? You know, what, what is your, why are you so passionate about that? Yeah. Well, I've tried so many different things and what really stood out is we have to find a way to come out of reactivity. The simplicity of life is reflected in the simplicity of our feelings, the sensations that happen in our body. Every situation, every event evokes we feel it somewhere. Our feelings are in our body, right? That's why they're feelings. Right. And so to become aware of those feelings and not be the feelings, not be become aware of the thoughts, not be the thoughts, then we actually sink into our true essence, which is not the thoughts. It's not the feelings. We are spiritual beings having a human experience ultimately. And so then we're really living life from this deeper essence and experiencing the, the wonderful three-dimensional space around us with its ups and downs. But those ups and downs become far less roller coaster like because we have this groundedness in this deeper essence and aren't chasing these highs and lows that uh, our reactions to things really create. Right. And so at your retreats, is it like really like the meditation, everyone's, it's like super quiet. What else are you teaching besides having those, that silence time and going with Yeah. So the day starts with conscious movement. Movement is so important. You can't just sit and meditate all day long. It, uh, it helps to break up like stuck energy, but not until you move does that energy start to really surface and leave you. So there always has to be a combination of movement and stillness, still sitting. So we do that yoga, of course, breath work, of course. Um, when you awareness. say, of course, when you say, mm -hmm. of course, like that's just like, n there's no way you could not do yoga or breath work. Those are like, you got to do that. Yeah. It's just, that's part of a well-rounded kind of um, connectedness program, right? You, you have to connect to all of you. Your thoughts are beautiful too. Though. It's just when you allow them to hijack us and take us away and then we're lost in thought for 60, 70, 80% of the day, that being lost in thought is not being present. Mm -hmm. You can literally gain back all of that time in, as like true living time, true life time. When we notice that we've drifted, our mind has taken us off into these la-la land thoughts of past and future and projections. And, and often it gets so ridiculous that we've jumped to thought after thought after thought gone down these rabbit holes that even our own mind thinks it's time to snap back out of it. If you've ever right. had that experience, right? Yes. It's like, my oh, goodness, why what am I, I doing? Where yes. am I going? <laughs> yeah, where did I go? I've gone down the deepest rabbit hole. Yeah. So it's really just all of this is to find our groundedness in our body. And that's through multiple techniques and modalities. And because we spend so much time in our head. So we just need to 
spend a little more time in our body, create a foundation of being in our body, and then bring that foundation to our, our more head-centric activities throughout the day. Okay. So yoga, breath work. And, you know, I've interviewed people that are passionate about breath work. I've done breath work. I did breath work, gosh, 30, 20 years ago when I didn't even know what it was. <laughs> and now I'm talking to all these people about breath work. And yeah, you know, when I've done it, I've realized, yeah, I get it. It's like a drug. I mean, you feel like you're, I understand that. Yeah. Well, breath is one of the only or one of the few things I think that are both autonomous. So we breathe without thinking about it, but that we can also control if we put our mind to it. Other than that, most things in our body uh, run on their own or we're very, very conscious of having to activate them. And nothing is more universal than breath. The way I wrote BU, one of the principles was to use language that is so you know, common and pedestrian in a way that it's unlikely to trigger anybody. (laughs) Right. That's why Um, I could give it to my first day of client. I thought this is the best book to give to this one woman I was thinking about. Yeah. Cause it is that. And I love, yeah. Yeah. Cause I remember, you know, picking up the power of now and, and Mm -hmm. I just couldn't even, I understand what was going on. And then 10 years later, of course, everything clicked, but in the beginning, so I wished, you know, the the language didn't get in the way of the wisdom at first. And Mm -hmm. that was one of the motivators uh, to write BU the the way I wrote it. But that same simplicity is also in my teachings uh, around meditation is using breath that is so basic, so universal. Everyone has it. Everyone can utilize it. There's nothing woo-woo about it. And it's one of the easiest ways the listeners right now can do a we can do a, a quick 10 okay, second test. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So very simply with your eyes and mouth closed, we're going to focus on the incoming and outgoing breath at the entrance of our nostrils. If you have difficulty locating your breath, you may breathe slightly harder once or twice and then return to normal breath, natural breath. And just keep your attention the entrance of your nostrils. Okay, so we did that for 10 seconds. Okay. It's likely that if this is the first time you're doing this, that you experience thoughts coming in and pulling your attention away within seconds within two three seconds and that is uh, you know the first very simple basic test to show us just how unruly uh, untamed how wild this monkey mind is and then the realization hits that i can't you know stay focused on my breath uh, for for a few seconds yet i've been using this mind to navigate through life and make Mm -hmm. big decisions (laughs) for myself right yeah so that's just a, a very quick, simple way to to show how the mind is a tool we use, but it doesn't know us and it doesn't have a deeper wisdom. It's based on knowing things. And so when we use that mind to navigate the great unknown, which is the future, our life unfolding, then we, we're working with a very limited piece of equipment there. So there must be a better way to live. And that really is the wisdom in our body, our inner voice, intuition, higher self, gut instinct, whatever you want to call it. And so it's all about connecting to that inner voice that we 
that we have that's right there to to guide us through every situation. It uh, the more we get comfortable listening to that, the more we start start trusting that whatever situation comes along, we'll be able to figure it out. We'll be able to respond to it. We'll because planning for every you know we all experience this too in, in work or in personal. We try to anticipate every possible permutation of a situation right. before we get into it, and then it's always different, and we feel unprepared. Well, the preparedness is now comes from this trust that develops that I will respond to circumstances as they are and not how I envisioned them to be or planned them to be or hoped they would be. All right. that takes us out of alignment with the present moment. So, Right. When you talk about manifesting in your book, you know, and it's that outcome, you know, the expectation and, and trying to visualize, you know, this is what I want to do and this is what it's going to look like. And people hold on to that vision and then they get blocked from that because we're always manifesting, you know, and I, yes. I always say creating because I feel like we're always co-creating, but how would yes. you? Well, indeed, we are cr always creating from ourselves the things that we need and want, which is usually rooted in lack. We feel like we're missing something. So then we go out there and we find the people that we think will complete us, uh, create uh, goals and outcomes that uh, we think will make us happy and so forth. So we're always motivated by something. Everything that happens in this world is motivated by something. Nothing happens on its own. So that motivation is a reflection of who we are. So Mean our means, values, you mean? Is that what you our mean? Our values, our values, yeah. even values is a tricky one. I, yeah, I do you, have a chapter on that. A, yeah, you opened a different view of values for me because I teach the core values and I'm like, oh, okay, Chris. Yeah, that's, <laughs> I want you to go there, but I'm sorry. Just keep going. No, absolutely. Well, it's all connected, right? Yeah, and it's all connected. Ultimately, what we're, we're talking, right? We're using language. And even when I was teaching in higher education and, and in the design world, working with creatives, language is very limited. It's all an approximation of something. But if you ask the whole, as I would with my students, to write down their interpretation of, I'll call you right back, right? You'd get uh, the 30 students, you get 30 different interpretations right. of such even the most basic phrase right yeah so we all have different, you know cultural differences and, and just personal differences and, and how life has imprinted us everyone has a different sense of punctuality and specificity and all these things play in so as we you know read and take in information and have conversations about things there's always um kind of an acknowledgement that we're using a very limited tool language and, and describing certain things. And it's easy. I used to do this. I used to debate things to death, right? Because I insisted on my interpretation of a word oh, you know, my, being so, so much more accurate. And that was part of my evolution is to realize that as I was debating things out intellectually, but that I would feel depleted at the end of that. Hmm. And um, this insistence on, finding the truth or being right. It's just, it leaves you uh, exhausted. But anyway, so with values, it's, it's similar. It's like, well, how do we define it? Right. And the way I kind of pick things apart in the book is really to try and break any preconceived notions of what anything means so that a deeper sense starts to arise that nothing's that important to get hung up about. Nothing's that important to get upset about, right? There's you know, nothing really matters, but from a place of everything is true. Not that it 
doesn't have meaning. In fact, everything has meaning. Everything has a right to be by sheer virtue of its existence. And being in resistance to anything that is, that already exists, doesn't benefit anyone, and at least yourself. That's where everything begins, right? Are we benefiting ourselves by thinking about uh, something a certain way or harming ourselves? And so judging things, even the simple labeling of a tree, like we said earlier, there's room for that. There's room for botanists to to you know mm-hmm. label trees and or in in you know, in class or to know what we call things. But that's the key. Is like that's what we call them. But they are not that. They are not the label right. we give those things. So right. Oh gosh, I love that. When you look at your higher self and you are a soul and you believe in past lives. I'm asking. Yes. 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 Okay. <laughs> I, I was assuming, but I'm just making sure. Explain that to me and your take on your soul coming now in 20, however many years you've lived here and why you chose in this time and why you believe that and what you've done in the past lives that you are recognizing that are something that's coming out in this in you right now and like what you've been doing in this, in this life? That's a great question. So I'm not as advanced in my, there's some meditation gurus and Zen masters that uh, profess that you, you do get in touch and you can see all of your past lives and all that. I'm, I'm not there yet. I don't know if I will be, if that's in the cards for me. What I can say is I've worked a lot with regression therapy, Dr. Brian Weiss, many lives, Mm -hmm. many masters. Mm -hmm. You know, if you've read that book and, uh, worked with him live and and you do get a, a much stronger impression that you've been here before you know we just come in baked a certain way already you can see that especially in children because they're still more source connected and so they say things that like where did that come from they have skills that like where did that come from so there's plenty of indicators there's also something else that happens as we react less as we allow everything to be as we hold everything is true more and more we start to experience ourselves as more continuous so it's kind of a, a byproduct of of presence is that time fades into the background it's mm-hmm. an organizational practical tool of course you need to create a schedule or, or book a ticket for next week if you want to go somewhere right. but this this pressing urgency that you're running out of time that you never have enough time that it's you know all of that fades away and so then this idea of beginnings and endings also falls away and you just really as you become more grounded in your essence the being essence versus all the the busy doing you start to experience your energy as this infinite never ending always been here core and so with that, you know, one of the greatest fears that no one ever talks about, and at least in Western society, fear of death falls away. It actually becomes more of a, ooh, it's like, can't wait to see how what happens there. Because that's right. probably even more exciting than being born. It's not right. now well, you're that's taking what you a- say in that chapter of death that you were saying, I, I wrote it. That was the highlight of your life is death. That's yes, what you said. It, it really is. Because now you take, it's not just being born, you take all that accumulated wisdom of your life into this transition not to say it can't be tough but you know again toughness what is that it's uh 
everything comes and goes. The essence of meditation is to recognize that nothing is permanent. The feelings arise and pass, thoughts arise and pass, and allowing them to arise and pass keeps us less glued to them, keeps us less identified with them. And as we let go of that identification with thoughts and feelings, we naturally expand into this bigger place that from which we live life from. And you just don't feel fear. You just feel a deeper trust and you have to experience it to believe it. So what I, you know, what I teach and all great traditions and meditation teach is that the teaching never goes beyond the experience of the student. The truth has to be experienced within yourself because it's your truth. And it's right. never, I can never tell you or anyone what, what you should be feeling or experiencing. It's, it's just to give the tools, provide a, a distraction-free environment. And then, but then you're on your own. You have to do the work for yourself. Right. You know, like I'm looking at you talking and, you know, do you believe that, I know you believe we're all one, but you know, there's certain people that you connect with that there's a familiar feeling like you, gosh, I feel like I've known you before, or, you know, is that like a sign that we've been connected in past lives? Like, cause I look at you, like you're familiar to me. Isn't that funny? Like we're just yes. talking, I go, gosh, I feel like I've known Chris forever. But what would that say? I mean, I'm sure you've met people in your life that you connect with and you're like, wow, you know, I feel like this is just easy. Yeah. Well, in my regression therapy work, I've experienced my brother as my dad. I've experienced cousins okay. as siblings. I've, it seems like it's, it is the same cast of characters <laughs> that kind mm -hmm. of reconfigure over and over. And sometimes they, they're more uh, guiding more guides, more guiding lights and, and not in the physical other times there. So I think that's where the concept of soul family comes from. But ultimately I think, and you said something beautiful earlier about, you know, seeing what really helps me at least is when I meet people and when you focus on seeing their inner child, seeing who they are, you kind of see how everyone is really that pristine child, beautiful soul. Mm -hmm. And of course the body around that, it starts to grow and, and age and so forth. But the true kind of center of the person is this, this, this child that's just trying to make sense of this crazy experience experiment that we're right. part of. And you can't fault that. You can't, you certainly can't hate it. You can't blame that. It's just, you do feel like we're all just like in kindergarten with each other and, and everyone is familiar because you're another person. So it's these layers of personality that kind of get layered on these, the masks. Ultimately, when you can see through that and just connect with the, the child within and, and you see that everyone's doing their best, you can only feel empathy and you can feel inspired and connected. And it's a great place to live from, to just oh, see the so kid weird. in each other. Yes. Yeah. You know, I mean, I do that like at the grocery store. I do that with my girls and they bring friends around or to the house. And I'm looking at them this kind of like you say, like, you know, we're all like in kindergarten. We're all just having this experience and we've been programmed from however many years of our life that we've had here with, you know, I always say like when we come here, the little kids, when having me being able to have a mom, be a mom and have children and watch them as they were, I was an older mom. So I was way more aware 
and very more intentional of my parenting. I didn't have my children till I was 37 and 40. So I was like, I was all the power of now, the, all the things like I did all the work before they came in. So I was so intentional, but watching the, you know, like the kid now as a teenager, watching them as little, like from zero to seven, you know, they're all, that's what 80% of your programs are programmed in during those years. And I just remember saying to Richard, like, okay, whatever we're doing now, they're like computers. <laughs> we got to make sure we're like doing the right thing. But I see such a, you know, it's like they're little, so they're not really expressing their beliefs and their values until now. Now I'm seeing it. <laughs> so when they bring friends over, I'm seeing, so I see this like, huh, okay, I, I raised them this way. Their friends were, you no, know, no judgment. It's just a whole different experience, but it's just so fascinating to see as a parent, how powerful your programming is. <laughs> There's no joke to that. And then to realize as a product of my parents' programming, how you realize how can I deprogram me? <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah. Those are some great insights. Uh, I mean, one thing that comes to mind is the uh, family patterns that we all inherit, good and bad. It's a big part of our lens on life is all these things that get passed along. And most of the things that get passed along are the unspoken things, right? Just seeing how your parents navigate a certain situation or react or behave in certain circumstances. That imprints us as, as children, mostly. It's not so much what they say or it's what they do. And and then there's a chapter on black sheep, right? How there comes some, one generation where for one reason or another, there's a resistance to just continuing blindly these these family patterns could be social patterns could be generational patterns too it depends on how how big your calling is but we start with the you know home first right um and to take a stand and say i'm you know stop i'm i'm not going to keep behaving a certain way so and you know it's it's i don't know if we have to deprogram after realizing how we've programmed it's it's we do our best and ultimately it's a creative it's the biggest creative act to to have kids and and with all uh, creativity when you the, the art you create this this beautiful this masterpiece you there comes a point where you have to let it go you put it out there and let it go and and have its own life and and right. it can, it can do what it needs to do and we've done our job Right. You know, and when you say deprogram, we're at the end here. I mean, I don't realize how long we, I could go with you, but you know, deprogramming, you're so right. And I think everything's perfect. Every choice is perfect. Every, I tell the girls, there's no mistakes. There's nothing wrong. You are learning in every single moment of the day. And you're right. We're not deprogramming. Everything in my life was perfect. Everything I learned, every lesson, every relationship, every parent thing, you know, whatever it is, it's all so perfect. And it is perfect for my girls and they'll take it upon themselves to they're creating their story. And I always say, you know, it's all your story, you know, and what a fun story to write. And who, yeah. you know, it's just, we're playing this game and it's like, we're in this life and looking at it from the moment to moment and to love and to, you know, create whatever you want and know that you're limitless and that you can be anything or do anything or have anything, but there's no limits, but the exactly. limits that we're putting on ourselves are those, the things that we have been holding on to. 
it's ultimately every belief is a limiting belief, a self-limiting belief. And we shouldn't deny or reject you know, what we believe in. There's, there's a process. It's gradual for a reason. If we could just jump around quickly between states of being, that's not good for, you know, life doesn't work that way. Right. But um, your daughters are so lucky to have you. And it, it's what comes back to me is a small, a mini version of that, if I can just share that. And I remember my parents setting me down, sitting me down. Uh, they had noticed that I was stressed out about grades at school. And I was maybe nine or 10 and, and I was, Oh, what are, you know, what are they going to say? And, and they, all they said was, Chris, we, we noticed you're really stressed out about grades. And they said, just take it easy. Just get C's. Oh yeah. I remember you saying that. I love it. <laughs> yeah. And I remember thinking to myself, I can do better than that. (laughs) But the pressure was off, right? It was up to me now to step up to the plate as the way I can. And I want is they created the space absent of what their, you know, intention was that, that I could be my own person and start to excel. And I actually started doing better. So it's definitely a, a beautiful thing that you, your, your daughters have with you there. Yeah. You know, I doing that and she's an 11th page. My oldest is in 11th grade in college. And, you know, like when we were that age, it was like, fill out an application, send it in. Oh, cool. I'm going, (laughs) you know, it wasn't even, maybe I got some good grades. Maybe I didn't. I don't think I took the SAT, (laughs) but you know, it's like, it's so different now. And I don't want to put the pressure on they're creating their life. And when you have that when they, like you did, like you had the power to create your life because they weren't putting the pressure on you to be an A student. You know, you were just going to say, wait, I'm in charge, (laughs) you know, and it's just, it it empowers them to think for themselves to, you know, we were going to have this college person help page, like write the essays and figure out how to get into the, you know, write the applications and it became what she quit. And then like, there was, I had to interview all these people. And one day I thought, what am I doing? She can go figure out how to fill out an application and write an essay. I'm not going to, it's like you baby them for so long. And then what are you doing? You're making them not capable or believe they're capable of doing something. But when your mom and dad said that, when I, cause I heard that in an episode, it's like, oh, I love that because what an empowerment to a kid. What more could you do? I just say, get C's. Yeah. It's all about finding our inner truth, right? That's, that's all that matters. Yeah. And on that, let's tell everybody where they can find you, where we'd sit here till another hour. (laughs) Yes. Yes. You can find me online. My website, Sirac.com. So that's C like Charlie, I-R-A-K. And anywhere on social media at Chris Sirac. And your next retreat. Oh, my next retreat is next week, in fact. Cool. Yeah. And there's a whole calendar of retreats that you can find on my website. We're going to places like Bali and Greece and Portugal and and um, really try to create a, a sanctuary to experience more of yourself and, and have that, your true purpose come to the forefront. So I know I'm going, but the retreats, do you have a group of people that are leaders that go from like Portugal to Greece? Or is it just you that go? How does that work? Yeah, no, I, I have a, a partner in, in this uh, venture. 
and it's a full-on operation of retreat planning. Besides myself, there are other experts that appear and do workshops. We do excursions that are specific to the locality. It could be, you know, water purification ceremonies and fire breathing to architecture and culinary experiences to really experiencing the, the, the local culture and, you know, just really the senses flooding our senses with these deep experiences brings us closer to each other, brings us closer to ourselves. And then the mindfulness practice around that, the meditations that bookend the days cement that connectedness to oneself so that we we find because that's what really brings us to into our body is 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 the senses and then some education and practice that we can then take back into our daily lives so that we can always stay connected to our body to our inner wisdom and navigate situations from that place so that's what it's all about Mm, love it Uh, sign me up Yes. Oh, thank you, Chris. That was so fun. And thank you, Ashley. Enjoy your day in Bali. And I will go to bed soon. So you'll enjoy your day. And so you're already on Wednesday. I'm ending my Tuesday. I need to get a map out and kind of see where it lies because we. Yeah. I need to make a plan. The girls, after we saw that movie, like I said, we all were wanting to move there. Yes, well, there's a, I have a headquarters here, so um, that's a year-round retreat location. So you're welcome at any time. Okay, thank you so much. Thank you for listening to the Uncover Your Magic podcast today. If you are inspired by what you heard today, please share it with a friend. And if you haven't already, please subscribe, rate, and review this show on your favorite podcast player. If you would like to connect with me with any questions, comments, or feedback, please contact me at the Uncover Your Magic website. Thank you so much for listening, and don't forget, always look for the magic.